protest? Yep, protest in DC. It was an awesome trip and I was really excited to see a protest. Oh man, yeah. so what, what were people protesting? President Trump, just oh. in general. They had tons of signs. I saw one that said, summa cum liar. And it had um, President Trump and Vladimir Putin with really long Pinocchio noses. And there was someone singing into a microphone just these anti-Trump hymns and things of that sort. Yeah. Hymns? Hymns, yeah. That was like, like the, all of these different songs. And he was like, which one should we do next? It was like this, it's like everybody knew these. It's like, yeah. Imagine like the national anthem in all of America's songs, but an antithesis list to that. And everybody seemed to just know these things. So, and this is literally outside the White House. Right, it, yes, right outside the front yard. They were refencing wow. it. So I was just standing outside and there's a tons of protesters. And Mr. Bonin mentioned this guy that likes to sit in his hut that's been there since 1980-something. Like, he was there. I'm pretty sure I saw him. And he did not look happy. He looked like someone who had been sitting on a sidewalk for the past 20-something years. Well, I mean, I think it's hard to live in D.C. and be and look happy, much less if you live in D.C. in a hut. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. Yeah, especially protesting, like, pretty much every day. Man, were you there as a protester or were you there as a tourist watching the protest? I was there as someone who was t- letting his little sister go to a concert and needed some time to do some stuff in D.C., so my dad took me to see the White House. Nice. Yep, that's nice. good. So let's get on to the resolution. Let's do it. All right, cool. But before we get there, we really should introduce the show, just oh, yeah, in case there's anyone new listening to this. Uh, All right. Welcome, everybody, to What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring, and I'm back today with my co-host, Ethan Delves, who is uh, back from D.C. That's right. So we're here today to discuss the up, uh, the first Luddy Debate League Coolidge resolution for the year. We've got the tournament coming up on September 7th here at Thales Academy in Rollsville, North Carolina. If you're in the North Carolina area and you're looking for a tournament to come to, you can find out all about this one at... We get the website correct. That is coolidgefoundation.org slash debate slash luddy dash schools slash. And we'll have that link there uh, in the episode description. Ethan, what's the res? Resolution is the state of North Carolina should offer targeted tax incentives to businesses that relocate major parts of their operations to North Carolina. That is a mouthful of a, a resolution. It's probably the longest resolution I've ever debated or will debate. And yet it's the probably it's more specific than most of them. It's definitely I, I know the Coolidge Foundation has done this once before where they like to keep it local to North Carolina so we can learn I, so at least I think so that we can learn more about the state and keep things local we gain more knowledge that way so i i kind of like the local ones i think they're good i do too it it makes it a bit more specific especially when we're dealing with tax policy because that gets so different across different states and it gets really complicated so it's better to keep it on a state level makes sense okay so uh it's 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 an exciting resolution i think there's a decent amount to go over here today lots of terms to define all right so let's start there what what terms leap out at you in this resolution major parts is like I, i always do this one term that leaps out the most definitely this one is major parts i want to know how much of a company you know what i mean like amazon's hq2 is a great example because it's like a it's another headquarters you know but then for some more specific examples it could get to really like convoluted areas about would this be considered a major part would this not but i don't think this is going to come down to really like a definitions debate either so no i I don't think so this is uh in fact even in the uh oddly enough um I don't know if you've seen this yet, but inside the Coolidge packet, uh, it literally gives us a weighing mechanism. They Weigh ask the benefits us, against the costs. I yeah, like it. So, I mean, this is literally intended to be more of a policy round rather than a values round. It is. And that's going to be so interesting with two constructives on each side and two rebuttals. Like, can you, 
it's like a double stacked entire policy round. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. There's a lot of information with with still keeping the Coolidge value of clear communication at the forefront. Right. So, yep. uh, but but definitely this is looking at really uh, on the one hand the affirmative here is advocating that the state government should do this. There, the state is the actor. So we're the affirmative is going to be looking at things mostly from the state's point of view. Uh, which is really going to give this a, a really a, a, a slant towards does the state need additional revenue? And if so, is this the route to eventually gain more revenue? Or does the state need some sort of political advantage? And therefore, is this the way to make people excited about their state government? Or all of the above? Maybe so. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's a, that might be a good structure to think about, okay, what are the political advantages and what are the economic advantages? Yeah. One of the things I noticed with this is that the affirmative has to come into the round ready with some sort of plan. Maybe not a policy sort of really broken down kind of yeah, thing. We're not, we're not talking like no. stock issues with the, yeah. the time frame and the plan text and the, the agency necessary, but we need something very specific yeah, to we be need advocating for. And it the affirmative has to come with knowing who they want to target things towards and have sort of like a restriction on that almost for an extra sort of definition of the affirmative case and a way of doing things that's not too specific that it'll ruin the entire round by going through the nitty gritty, but that's makes their case plausible. I would yeah, say. I think, yeah. I think that's going to be critical here. Well, one other term we should talk about is targeted tax incentives, I think, where a tax incentive is an encouragement that the government is, the state here is offering where a company would pay either no tax for a time or a reduced tax rate in some particular area, perhaps on their corporate income or perhaps on the property tax or payroll taxes. or and there, there are a lot of possibilities there. Uh, that, that that could do it, but the targeting aspect is also pretty critical because yeah. we're not talking about a general tax break for all businesses in North Carolina. This is to either a particular business or maybe even a group of businesses or an industry to bring them from where they are to have major operation in North Carolina. Yeah, and it's what a great time for this resolution to come out too because you see this massive development in the RTP area. My dad just moved to Cary last year and there's lots of businesses being built there. And it was actually one of the contenders for Amazon's HQ2 also. It was North Carolina near the RTP sort of area. So, and I know North Carolina also has like a flat 3% corporate tax it's actually rate. lower than that. Is it now. lower? It went down to, uh, in 2019, it went down to 2.5%. Yeah, so we're already a great place to do business. So that begs another question. Do we need even more incentives? Or what's a, what's a good sort of range or moderation for incentives? And if, is there one at all? Like, that makes it a really cool resolution. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that, that's a great point to bring up because uh, one of the things I noticed as I was starting to dig into this is that uh, 2013 was a pretty critical year because... 2013, there was a, I, I, don't, I don't remember who, but there was a list made of the corporate tax rates across all the 48 states that taxed corporate income. North Carolina was number 48 on that list. Yep. We were one of the most expensive states to do business in, and the state legislature has been shifting that till now today. We are uh, one of the best places to do business in. Was it like eight? Four or eight? Hey, I'd range. have to go back and look at that list. Yeah. I think we might be the the we might have the low. I think we have the lowest corporate income tax at two point five percent. We do. Yeah, they factored the, in a couple other things, which made our rating go down a little bit. But our corporate income, we do have the lowest in the nation. I know right, that. and uh, I've I've also learned there's. One of the ways that uh, corporate income is calculated has to do with this complicated thing called an apportionment formula. Yeah, you showed me that. That yep. was pretty convoluted. Well, where, where some states, it has to do with what happens when businesses are doing uh, sales and they're, they're stretched across multiple states. Do, does every state get to tax 3% of the total income? In which case, 
that's going to discourage businesses from growing outside of an original state. I can just see the affirmative coming back and saying, well, no, because since it's targeted, we'll make sure that that doesn't well, happen. Yeah, and- but the, the trick there with the apportionment deal is that uh, different states look at a variety of factors, uh, whether it's payroll and, or income or sales, but they usually have three or four different factors. North Carolina only looks at sales, which means it has one of the easiest to figure out and least expensive apportionment formulas of all these other states. That, too, has become simplified over between 2013 and 2019. What's your thoughts on the the major parts of their operations and the resolution? Well, how, I think, how major do you think that has to be? That's an interesting question. I don't know that I have anything terribly specific to offer here because that seems very ambiguous to me. I think the major parts sort of helps define a different term of the resolution, which is who exactly, not, not necessarily a term, but for the plan, who are we going to target it to? And that would sure. depend on what part of the operation. So if it was enormous companies like Amazon, then maybe a major part of operations would be a new headquarters or a new like large Amazon center that would employ X many people. or Like the one that opened in Garner like last year. My grandparents live across the street from that. Really? I probably shouldn't have said that on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like literally I, I grow, go out of their neighborhood and I see the Amazon oh, thing. I have right a there. sister-in-law who works at an Amazon shipping center that's opened in the Charlotte area in the last Last year, so Amazon's already doing business in North Carolina, creating new jobs and everything. Yeah, yep. that that literally um, for my sister-in-law, that was a that was a career change. She was not working in that, so that's a new job for her. Um, uh, but that that's I don't know that either of those constitute major parts of the Amazon empire. True. HQ two would certainly be. Uh, if I remember, that was promising fifty thousand jobs with yep. the average uh, wage for each of those jobs being roughly a hundred thousand a year. Yeah. That's a major piece of Amazon. But think about what happens when they don't follow through on their promise, because New York definitely saw the short end of the staff there. Yeah. Did that they was ever? Bad. That was, uh, and that that really. Uh, I mean, New York offered, I, I think, over $200 million in tax incentives and kind of restructured a few other things. And that really gets at one of the uh, one of the good negative arguments, I think, mm-hmm. on this case. Because what, what happens to the people who have been doing business in your state when suddenly the state is actively courting these other businesses to come in? But what happens if the – do you think the affirmative could sort of counteract this possibility and come back from the neg if they tighten up their plans so much that they say they, that basically none of that would happen under our plan because our plan is – you know, prepared for that. And, and we sure. would only target companies that really promise, or you know what I mean? I, like, I, I mean, I think they could. The affirmative could certainly do that, and that's probably a great thing to do on the AF side. Make sure you have an airtight case and you're thinking through the specifics. But on NEG, I want to be, be looking more at the specific ways this has actually worked out. And in that case, I think what your NEG has the NEG has a lot of evidence on their side. I think, yeah, and it's not only the evidence on NEG, but it's one of the first things we learned in debate when I was in middle school was that the affirmative typically has a harder case to make. And I think this is the, a perfect example of this here because the affirmative has to lay out all of the evidence, burden of proof, right? Mm-hmm. And Neg has burden of clash. Burden of clash here could, could literally be like half fulfilled by just asking questions like, where's your evidence for this? Or what if this happens and where's your evidence to counter? You know what I mean? Like, sure. Negative could just bombard with questions and, and holes that affirmative doesn't fill in. And affirmative is going to need to try to grasp that bigger picture and see where this would... Again, Again, the Coolidge weighing mechanism here, benefits and costs, where would those benefits outweigh on a large scale? I think that's the, how the affirmative can win the round, but the neg just has so many questions to ask. I, I think so you're right. Doubts. Yeah, this affirmative is really going to be uh, presenting a, a sort of a, a story of 
future economic possibilities where negatives really going to be looking for that much more realistic things like how much money are we spending per job that is being created yeah at the point where uh, uh the coolidge packet has some great stats on this i noticed i read through it earlier where uh in one case you're looking at a company where basically the state is spending over five hundred thousand dollars to create a single job well my goodness that is expensive is there on neg, I think there's an easy ground. There's easy ground to say: Is there not some other way to get there? Maybe if we simply let the market do its work, do we need incentives to bring businesses here? Would those businesses come without the incentive? In which case, wouldn't that save the state an awful lot of money? Wouldn't that rather be in the state's interest to work in that more economically efficient way? We need to see. I think neg has some good ground to ask questions about, like how much money would the government be losing first of all and what could we have put this towards but maybe not so much what could we have put this towards but what were, what were we going to put it towards or where would this money be extremely important because it's a lot of like it, in most cases it doesn't matter like with the tariff example i know that we there were like the three r's that that economist at coolidge discussed the one from dartmouth right, right the, the economics right. teacher he said the first one was revenue and then tariffs had two purposes after that but revenue is almost irrelevant with tariffs now because you get so little for the government makes almost no money. I had literally a block prepared for that. It was a one sentence block for my Coolidge cases. <laughs> the government makes almost no money off of tariffs, period. This resolution is a little bit different. This is a lot of money we're talking about. And it's on the state level, right? right. And it's targeted tax incentives even more so. So how we're, so we're talking in that case about the primary source of income for the state. Yeah, I mean, we're talking, and, and well, really, one of two primary sources: income I mean, the, tax and the state. Right. So I would look at individual income tax as it's the main way that the state gets revenue. Corporate income tax is going to be another huge angle, and the additional taxes that are property tax as another one that companies that own property are going to be paying. So when a when a government gives tax incentives like that, they're literally I mean it's it's essentially a coupon mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. But the, a coupon makes sense if a coupon in, uh, encourages the customer to purchase more of what you're of what they would otherwise not be purchasing. And we could even see like if maybe if corporate taxes go down, but there are more jobs created, income taxes revenue would go up and it sort of balance it out. So we have more employment, but the government the government on at least in the long term is making the same amount of money or maybe right. it makes a profit in, that in which case. case the i mean uh, affirmative needs to bring evidence showing that that's actually what's going to happen north carolina would be a good place to like definitely local evidence sort of things or we found maybe one of those other ones that's pretty high on the ease of doing business list we could see if any companies have gone there and income taxes right which up. uh certainly Char- uh, charlotte is going to be a major city for affirmative to be looking at because they brought in lots of lots of companies over the last few years have begun doing more business in Charlotte, and the city of Charlotte has been incentivizing companies to do that. Now, be careful for when you're writing your affirmative case, because we are dealing with a city that is incentivizing, and the resolution is dealing with the state of North Carolina. So we would need to be able to justify moving from the city level to the state level. That's true. Now, so I can see some hardship there, but it's, you could no. definitely pull some good examples. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, we, we've been assuming that this is actually about economics. What if it's not? Uh-oh. Where are you going with this? So what if, let's try this idea on for size. Okay. Um, what if it's not actually, what if the state's interest here is not actually gaining more revenue? Because we are assuming there so that... gaining control is very Well, not even control. What if, because we're assuming the state is in fact a monolithic entity, a single entity that can seek its own interest. That's an abstraction. Right. In reality, the state government is made up of politicians who want to be reelected. 
So okay. what if the heart of being reelected is actually about showing that your government, whether it's Republican or Democrat, in this case in North Carolina right now, we have a Republican majority in the legislature with a Democratic governor. What if it is actually about one party being able to say, look at this, we brought in these six new businesses that established 30,000 new jobs in the state, and therefore you should vote for us as the party of economic prosperity. Whether that's true or not, what if that's actually the core, a core argument on the affirmative side and a core motivation for this case? Well, I don't. Uh, for affirmative, I don't think it matters because if that is the case and this this party has brought in a ton of economic prosperity to an area, the affirmative could be like, well, look at all the benefits that they brought. Like, e of course they want to be reelected, but look at this economic growth that they've had. Look how the state's prospered since then. And the negative would, I don't know what the negative would say back to that. Like, well, these politicians are just trying to get reelected. They're doing whatever they can. They're putting short-term policies in place. But if the number's on the affirmative side and we have this specific weighing mechanism, I think AF has the advantage there. Well, see, it doesn't really matter if the numbers that are on AF side or not, because if under that argument to say, well, it's not actually about the economics. What it's really about is a certain party gaining power and using the appeal of economics. So what typically happens is that a government will offer all these incentives. Those incentives are very rarely the final word or the real reason why a company chooses to go to a state. They'll go to that state regardless. So what, will, what I suspect will happen is that AF will make their argument, oh, we're going to pass these incentives and these companies will come. And NEG's going to come back and say, no, that actually isn't why. Well, AF could then come back with this argument and say, even if you're right, this still benefits the state because the current party is the one that is seen to gain all kinds of political advantage because they attracted this and it gives the appearance of more jobs caused by incentives, even if that appearance is not really as substantive as it seems. So I think I'm tracking with you here. I'm, I think what I'm missing to understand is the impact of what you're saying for the negative argument because if, if the politician trying to get reelected and the affirmative has truly help to gain more jobs. Like there, there is an objective amount of jobs that are gained. It might be hard to measure. You may never actually get that exact measurement. But if there's job growth there and the affirmative has clearly benefited the state by using targeted tax incentives and created more jobs, even if the goal is to gain more power, the result was good. So I know it's like the end justifies the means kind of thing, which, which may not be viable or may be viable depending on how you want to do the round. What's the impact Which, as, of, a, as a quick pro tip, is not the right answer on uh, the philosophy nope, quiz. The nope. ends justify the means is not the right answer. That didn't actually help you on your upcoming philosophy quiz. Yeah, but I just was about in case to say, you were, is that, is that it, like a, it really won't help you at all. all but right, just whatever. in case you were confused, the ends justify the means is not the correct answer. But finish that thought. So why does it matter if politicians are only interested in getting reelected? So what that's going to do then is that's going to shift the nature of the debate. It shifts the ground of the debate. It gives a different avenue. If you know, For affirmative to use that, granted, it's going to take some legwork to get there. You would need to establish that it's actually beneficial to the state for politicians to maintain continuity in office and that it's beneficial to the state somehow for politicians to be seen to be helping stimulate the economy. Well, so this is an affirmative argument. I think so. Oh, I thought you were making it for the neg. No. Like, the neg is like, no, what are you doing? Like, these people only want to get reelected. Like, it's yeah, yeah. corrupt I, in the government. I think, I think neg is going to make that. And affirmative should be able to turn that around and say, actually, that's somehow a good thing for a state to have stability in the government. And that people actually want it to look as if the government is caring about stimulating the economy and bringing in jobs. Whether, and I'm arguing... Well, that might happen regardless of these incentives. 
And so AF can turn that around and say, look, because one of the advantages here is that actually this is going to help the party in power stay in power. Well, I... Okay. It's a bit I think of a it's devious a great, political argument. It's a great affirmative response. If the neg made that argument, they, I don't think it would stand at all. I, th- I think that's all on the affirmative side there because you like, look at the benefits. We're weighing the benefits here. I mean, we have this many jobs created. Like, what are you, what are you whining about, basically? But... Um, yeah, I, I feel like you're on this streak lately where we're talking on what's the res and we have all these like resolutions and then you bring this one really like out there argument and try to make this case to me, but I haven't actually caught on to any of them yet. So well, hope, I, I hope see. that made sense. If, it, no, it made sense, but I've never agreed with you on one of these new... That's like, fine. Which is true. You, you keep telling me that we need to be more conversational on our episode. Oh, this so. is definitely conversational. I, yeah, I I'm think calling so. you out here. That's so, it. That's yeah. fine. And, and listeners, uh, if, 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 if you like this or you don't, please do let us know. We'd love to hear from you if... Uh, if, if if this idea actually works, maybe it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, but we, let, let's do shift Ethan to, uh, let's, let's, let's shift over to some negative suggestions. Okay. Let's do some, we have any, I like crony capitalism. On do the you? I do like it. Cause that's a, that's a corruption ish negative argument that actually seems to have some ground. All right. So let's talk about crony capitalism. What is it? Why, why is, why could this be a good spot for, for the neg to be? I'm going to, the way I'm going to explain this is by comparing it to the previous argument that you were talking about. If you, if you take the previous argument where neg is saying the politic, the, Politicians are only interested about getting back into office. The affirmative can easily come back and say, well, that's fine because we have all these benefits from that. It's great for the same party to be in power for um, an extended period of time to bring benefit. If negative comes up with crony capitalism, then they're using a similar argument, which is like the government's gaining more control and they're, they're partnering with these companies and it's bad and local businesses are going out of business and everything. Affirmative can't come back with simply saying that's okay. What they can do is come back with evidence and try to weigh it and be like, we have all these jobs and everything. But now they have actually something to contend with because they can't just say, well, that's okay because benefits. You, do you see what I'm saying here? I think so, but what I'm missing still is an actual definition of what crony capitalism is. Crony, crony capitalism is when large companies are partnered with the government and they gain more con- political control because right. of it. Yeah. And why is it bad? Because companies should not have control over that sort of thing, and the government shouldn't be partnering with large companies. They should just be the government, and then the market should be the market. Okay. In which case, what I mean, you just like, that's yeah, in yeah, some yeah. economic views. Like, yeah, not everyone yeah. believes that. But, but I mean, yeah. the, that, that's that's the heart of the free market and free market capitalism, and it's the the insistence that in capitalism, if you make bad economic choices, the market eventually kills your company. Yep. If you insist on overpricing your goods, people will not buy them, and eventually your company collapses. But crony capitalism changes this, right? Yep. Because if I just keep, if I go bribe the government into giving me handouts or lowering my tax bill, suddenly I can pass some of these other expenses off because I'm getting a break elsewhere from the government. I think affirmative needs to be ready to have a block for this, like, or at least a question, like, where has this happened? What are the actual, can you prove that because of this, this happened? You know what I mean? And I thought I was doing a really good job explaining it, and sometimes I think I do, but then I see, like, the way you're looking at me, I'm like, oh, no. Like, well, I, just, I better see, stop I, and let them interject, you, too. you remember those middle schoolers you wanted me to say hello to you for because you were in D.C. yesterday? Yes. I, I'm thinking of our middle schoolers who are listening to this, and they're going to hear what you said, and they're going to have no idea what crony capitalism is. So I should have defined it first. It's, we, I gotta, we just I got to be a debater and define that's my it. terms before that's I go it. into the case. we gotta, we got to keep all of our listeners in mind. And, and plenty of folks will know what crony capitalism is, but I think that's the heart, the... the 
that's one of the best things that Ned can come back with on this. It's good, but you need to have examples, like historical examples to back it up. Or, or it, more recent ones with like the, I mean, this was the, that was the, one of the big complaints about new, from the citizens of New York City about all these deals the city is making with Amazon. Because but we didn't see any impacts of that actually playing out negatively. We just saw potential harm. True. So that's true. that's one that's a great example of saying, well, this could happen. But if there's a if there's a solid case to be made for some state that let a company come and then you saw relations tightening between large companies in the state and people were actually harmed because of this or you know, corruption and unfairness between com- different companies and tax incentives was happening because of this, which may be a good argument because these are targeted tax incentives, right? So not right. like just an overall incentive, but targeted. I think that helps growing capitalism even, even more. And that's probably why the Coolidge Foundation included that in the resolution is because that opens up a little bit more for Neg. So. Probably so, though I know um, – so I interviewed Mr. Luddy last week about why he supports debate and everything. And this was that was his initial response to this resolution. I asked him what he thought. Uh, listeners, I think that's two or three episodes back at this point if you want to hear that. Oh, uh, it has an amazing beat at the beginning too. Oh, that's phenomenal. it. That's it. Yeah. Noah did a great job with that beat. But uh, when I asked Mr. Luddy what he thought about this resolution, his first response was, this is clearly crony capitalism. And for him at least... Just uh, default. Crony yeah. capitalism. Yeah. Well, and for him, that's its own bad thing. It doesn't need an example of why it's bad. Because for Mr. Luddy, his, his big convic- one of his core convictions is that companies rise and fall on their own efforts. And when the government intervenes in any way, it corrupts the market. That's a core Austrian economics principle. And what a great way to start that, too. Businesses rise and fall based on their own efforts. Yeah. So that's, that's great. Because that, that raises the question, are targeted tax incentives to encourage companies to come to the state? Or are there other things that happen after this once they kind of begin the relation with this that where the government's constantly supporting this company that's not doing their fair share of the work, or their only share of the work, because it's their company and they're, right. they're everything. So why should the government step in? Well, one of the more interesting uh, things I was reading about yesterday on this was, uh, was one article uh, talking about how little oversight there is to companies after they receive their tax credit funds or that, that's, that's in perpetuity or however that's set up. Really? So, for example, let's say there's an imaginary company that we say, hey, come into North Carolina and you prom- the company says, we'll create 1,000 jobs. And the government says, that's great. We want 1,000 of our unemployed citizens to have work. This is a great deal. And because you're going to do that, we're going to reduce your – you will not pay any property taxes for the first 10 years you're in North Carolina. Sounds like a great deal. Well, so – Hey, come in. No one ever checks up on this imaginary company to see if they actually create these jobs. So, I mean, <laughs> do it, they really not? No, never. Who, who would check up on this? Who would check up on it? You know, like every think tank that's ready to just tear down this idea. I so it. it I made... saw the Cato Institute in DC. Did you? I just I got lost in DC at nighttime, <laughs> and I looked to my right. Cato Institute. Hey, do you know what else is in DC? Um, lots of things. What else? Well, yeah, but there's the Kirby Center. The Kirby. Cur- what? Do you know who owns the Kirby Center? Is it like that? You mean the toy Kirby? Like the no, freaky? no, no, no. It's the Kirby Center. It's named for a donor who supported it. Oh, no. Who owns it? Hillsdale College. Wow. Congratulations. Back to the episode. <laughs> yep, yep. But Hillsdale has a major presence in D.C. So <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So crony capitalism on, on NEG needs to be kind of a reflex response, I think. And then um, – but one of the other big things, I mean, do we – does do you think the affirmative has a burden to argue for more incentives than currently exist? Is that what this resolution implies? Yes, I think. I mean, I didn't even think about it on the flip side. So my it was kind of my initial reaction. But I think the key part there is the plan. 
And if the affirmative is going to tie itself to a plan, that would be a plan that needs to be put into effect in the future. Mm-hmm. Because using the, the current plan, I don't know. Can you take over for a second? Yeah, now, now I, you I, just got flipped my entire reality here. Oh, so. well, that's, that, that's supposed to be a good thing. I mean, Socrates would be excited that your reality is now inverted. He sure would. But, uh, so, I mean, I think as I was reading this, I think affirmative has the burden to advocate for a change. Because traditionally, the affirmative is argued for a change in the status quo. And in this case, in North Carolina, the status quo is that we actually have this incredibly business-friendly environment. 2.5% corporate income tax, a bunch of deals already in place where if you come to North Carolina, we're going to help you. All these, all these things, um, a, an apportionment formula that only focuses on sales. So if you do your sales in other states, but your headquarters and all your personnel are in North Carolina, you're not going to pay income tax on, on that much. Affirmative has to argue for some sort of change. I'm with you. I, th- I, I think I'm good staying with the affirmative has yeah. to argue for change. The, and, the examples and the arguments are going to be the same because you're going to use the same studies, the same numbers, the same states, and historical examples you want. The only difference is the plan and, yeah. and how secure and airtight the affirmative can make the plan so that negative will be able to clash with their case. Which makes me think that Neg has access to a great argument saying, we actually don't need a change. Our status quo is great. More and more businesses keep moving to North Carolina, and they want to be here. Our Raleigh is one of the fastest-growing cities in the country. Charlotte has more com- more companies flooding in to open up in Charlotte. So why do we need more? Why should the state give away revenue when companies are already flocking to North Carolina? I think I would disagree on that end. I'm with you on the affirmative, saying that the affirmative would need to add more. But for negative, I think the resolution would include more in there on the affirmative side because it i know this sounds weird because i'm kind of allowing affirmative one thing and taking or allowing neg one thing but taking away one thing from the affirmative but i'll just read it one more time so we're clear on Mm -hmm. what i'm saying here the state of north carolina should offer targeted tax incentives to businesses that relocate major parts of their operations to north carolina if you stick the word not in there then i think what negative is saying here is we should not have tax incentives and that they're bad but affirmative it's maybe this is just my debate mind and having just automatically plugged in this thought from all of the policy-ish resolutions I've heard. The affirmative is arguing for a change. That's, that's the affirmative burden of proof and burden uh-huh. of everything the affirmative has. Negative is arguing against tax incentives, not necessarily for tax incentives, but no more. Because that would, that would just take away all the affirmative's ground, I think. So in which case, you're suggesting then that really the negative is arguing, negative then has to uphold that the state should change what it's currently offering in terms of targeted tax incentives and not have them at all, as opposed to negative saying, we will maintain what we currently have, but not add new ones. I would say this this whole kind of side thing here, the side analysis of the resolution, like now that we're questioning it a little bit more, is... A more advanced view on the resolution. What happens at usually a coolest tournaments? You have some like some kind of discrepancy with a resolution like this. Like we do do this on, right. on resolution analysis. When you get to the tournament, what really happens is that the resolution sort of becomes a more tax incentives are good, tax incentives are bad kind of thing. In the final rounds, you could totally use that to go straight back to the topic. You know, freshen up the judge's spirit and mind and be like, nope, this is the topic. But so I, I will keep that in, in my mind when I'm writing cases for sure. But when I go into debates, it seems to typically go like the state of North Carolina should offer targeted tax incentives to businesses that relocate, yada, 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 because they're good. And negative is like, no, 
we shouldn't because they're bad. I'm just I'm not saying that's the way right, it always right. should be, but I'm saying that's usually the way it plays out. So it's not a major concern for me, but I will I'm definitely gonna give that some a second thought. I, I, I'm with you there, and that that's probably one of the distinctions between that's unique to the Coolidge tournament. I mean that that really in part because it's still a relatively young league and we have a lot more people who are kind of figuring out debate. It's not debaters aren't necessarily playing the same kind of games with the resolution that I would expect from other debaters and other in other other scenarios. I can see some of our debaters doing that, but at, at the same because I mean we've grown as a program, and right. I know Franklin's Franklin's climbing up there, and Apex, and everybody. But I I'm interested now to see if anybody actually takes this to the next level. If you're out there listening to this and you're thinking about taking it to the next level, um, Josh and I will be ready for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll, I'll be ready to at least uh, if, if they if we have enough judges, I won't be judging, but I'll at least watch a round or two, and I'll be curious to see how folks take those because I think the resolution itself is pretty solid, but I think it's also got some ambiguity in how much of a change is the affirmatives uh, encouraging people to 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 support. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, reality's flipped. Yep. Well, there we go. Perfect. Uh, okay. Now I was I have a, a list of uh, resources to suggest. Uh, but I, I want to at least begin with mentioning that most of the resources I'm going to suggest are included in the Coolidge packet, because uh, that too is a cool thing that this league does. It's really nice, yeah. So we're, uh, before we have one of these tournaments, uh, Jared Rhodes and Matt Denhart and Rob Hammer, and I suspect a couple of their interns, so there may be a few other people who, have attached, who are attached to this, but they put together a resources brief. This is available on the Coolidge website, which one more time... Uh, is Coolidge.org. It's CoolidgeFoundation.org. CoolidgeFoundation.org slash debate slash Luddy dash schools slash. And uh, so uh, it lists a ton of resources. I was encouraging our students in the elective today to mine the footnotes of this thing. Yeah, and I, I'm going to add something to what I was thinking about before because now you've really got me thinking about it. What I think we should do with the affirmative and negative burdens here is the negative should come up and ask affirmative. Are you arguing for adding more tax incentives? And if they if they... If they bite that bait and say yes, how much? How many more tax incentives, and why this much more? Affirmative would really tie themselves up if they agreed to more. So, uh, but I feel like that's. I think that. I'm ah, gonna, there it is. Now you hate it, hate it when I say I feel like. I think that the affirmative is arguing for more, but I think now that the negative has access to that question, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to, which is fair, because the affirmative seems to have the more viable case with all of these tax incentives actually bringing prosperity. So Yeah. Well, and uh, this also is the first time that a Coolidge tournament will split competition between novice and varsity competition. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. That was, uh, that was one of the things that came out of our coaches meeting uh, about a month ago, where uh, novice will be defined as students who have only competed at two at two or fewer tournaments. Mm. And varsity, you don't get a whole year of novice competition in this thing. But if you once you've gone to two tournaments, you then get promoted up to the the varsity competition. Nice. Okay. So this might, in fact, be a, a good way to differentiate that, where I would expect more varsity comp- competitors to be ready to field kind of a, a slightly harder question. I'd be I'd be surprised if novice competitors really were kind of thinking about it at that level yet. Do it, novice. Do it. Now, there are a bunch of different resources if you start, uh, and, and of course, one of the best ways to begin research for this kind of topic, start Googling the, the main ideas. And read the brief, just to kind of get an idea of yep. what you're looking for. The W.E. Upjohn Institute for Employment Research uh, has a great study that is really, this is, and I, I have not seen this in the Coolidge packet yet, so this would be supp- a supplemental resource. 
This is a 131-page document that is surveying uh, the way that taxes and tax incentives work across, uh, I believe, 33 states that are linked into a database that this article is explaining. I found the first 20 pages or so of this start of this um, paper to be really helpful because they go over, uh, they've got a huge section on the basic idea of tax and tax incentives, and then they survey industries, cities, and states, and about a decade of ways that cities and states have used tax incentives to try and get companies to come to them. And they've got a lot of interesting case studies. A lot of the specifics you were asking for mm-hmm. uh, are, are in this in this report, uh, but uh, don't 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 be too intimidated. But it is a 131 page report. It, it may take a little while to wade through. Um, there, there's a bunch of different articles as well. Strongtowns.org has a great article called "How Corporate Tax Incentives Work." Oh yeah, they had so many footnotes on that too. Yep. That's really good. Uh, there's uh, the uh, I'm trying to remember what that one's called. What ITEP stands for now. Um, that is the uh, Institute on Taxation Economic Policy has a report on tax incentives and how they're costly for states and a drag on the nation. So that's going to be a great negative source. Perfect. Uh, theweek.com has an article on this. Uh, and I found uh, one site, uh, one art, curb.com has a great story that just tells an article that tells the story of Amazon uh, choosing to put HQ2 in New York City and then how that deal kind of fell apart and why what, what the fallout was for, for New York. Um, there is also the News and Observer is a Raleigh newspaper. They have uh, multiple articles about incentives and trying to bring businesses to Raleigh. The Charlotte Observer has several articles looking at incentives in the Charlotte area. I did find one good JSTOR article uh, by a guy named uh, David Brunori. Uh, that's in the, a journal called State and Local Government Review. From 1997, his article is entitled Principles of Tax Policy and Targeted Tax Incentives. So just to mention additional resources, there's a lot out there on this topic. Any, any other research, research or resource suggestions, Ethan? What I like to do, especially for policy and economic resolutions, just go to every think tank that you can think of and type in tax incentives, targeted tax incentives, and you'll find some great stuff there. But for this resolution, just kind of as an overall observation, the evidence is all going to be similar. Everyone's going to bring some kind of example of when tax incentives were good and they brought prosperity. Every neg is going to give probably a similar example of crony capitalism or some kind of negative effect there. The evidence, there's going to be tons of it, and it's going to be very similar throughout across the board, especially as the rounds get into the later rounds. I think the heart of this debate lies in questions and the questioning periods. What do we get... Is there two crosses each, I yeah, think? there's yeah, two crosses two constructors, each. Mm-hmm. Two crosses each. So everybody gets a turn to cross and, and be crossed. So I think this debate's going to be one on the questions. What I would do for, for this type of resolution is, since the evidence is all going to be similar, just research, but read it. Just read it and keep, keep it in your brain so that you know exactly how to answer these questions and good answers and bad answers. And then you'll also begin to start thinking about what to ask the other team because the affirmative has to have an airtight plan of like what kinds of tax incentives, how many taxes, sorry, what amount of tax incentives. I mean, who would these be towards? What is a major operation or major part of operations? How so much many, revenue are they giving up yes. with the expectation of how much future so revenue? So many good questions. Like if you get all of those out in cross-examination, I can't see affirmative like it's standing without having massive preparation in, in advance, or at least some really good general principles as answers. But and, and on the negative, the affirmative could do the exact same thing. Well, why would you say this if we have this much prosperity? Or why are, are small businesses better? And what examples do you have of the government 
partnering with these large companies and what negative impacts does that have? So many good questions. Just read. Write your cases. Use the good evidence and, and put those you know good sources in there. There's tons of them. Think tanks, all of the things you just said, the Coolidge packet, all great resources. It's going to be one on the questions. It's going to be one on who's actually done their reading and who knows how to answer what questions. And I'm, I'm pretty decided on that. We'll see how it actually goes at the tournament, but that's what I'm thinking. Yep. Well, and uh, that tournament is coming up. We've got about three weeks uh, from the right three weeks from last Saturday. No, three weeks from this coming Saturday. So uh, September seventh, that'll be right here at Thales Academy in Rollsville, North Carolina. We'll be uh, we'll be excited to host this one. It's going to be starting a great season. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I know I'm we've excited. got uh, we've we've got competitors coming from Thales Apex, from uh, Franklin Academy, from St. Thomas More Academy. Uh, I heard from uh, one of our uh, one of the coaches out uh, in South Carolina, actually. He is bringing his daughters uh, this year. No way. Yeah, That's it's awesome. uh, Keith Robertson. He'll be, he'll be back okay. for this. And uh, we've got a, we at last year at the end of the season we had a couple of other schools from the Charlotte area that came out so hopefully wow. they'll be back. That's awesome. So uh, we're we're excited. It's it's fun to be part of a growing program and this is going to be a great year. Yeah, I'm really excited. Can't wait. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolution in the world of high school debate. Ethan, how can people get in touch with us if they want to let us know anything about this episode? If you have any questions or comments on this episode, you can email us at whatstheres at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstheres underscore. Check out our Facebook Facebook page called What's the Res, or look at our website, which is www.whatstheres.com what's the res.com and you should be able to find this episode up there as well and and anything else well i'll say uh just in case you can't quite get enough of debate do know that we also do a premium channel of content we've got eight episodes up now that would be great practice for flowing for tracking the movement of arguments for seeing how people use evidence to support different kinds of arguments and different kinds of resolutions We've got policy, we've got economics, we've got values, uh, we've got uh, really just kind of human debates as well. We've got a variety of different styles. We release one new episode there every month. Uh, we've got another one coming up here in uh, the beginning of September. Uh, you can find all of those at whatstheres.podbean.com slash premium. We'll also have that linked on our website. So if you want to check those out, feel free. Those are available at $3 a month or $30 for the year. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.